This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong, and you're listening to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. This week on the show, we look to the recent ASEAN Para Games in Cambodia, where the Malaysian national squad made up of 144 athletes, which by the way, 62 made their debut at these games. The team surpassed their target of 33 goal, bringing home instead nearly double the target with 50 gold, 38 silver and 28 bronze medals, ranking an overall fourth in the final tally. One of the shining stars and standout performers from the Para Games is para swimmer Carmen Lim, who not only brought home three goals and one bronze, but also broke records along the way. This week, Carmen joins us on the program. Well, I think the contingent as a whole, yeah, it was massive team effort. Like, from my perspective, like, I could see just how much effort everyone has put in because, like, when we first arrived, it, it wasn't the easiest um, environment. The weather was not easy to deal with. Um, the able-bodied athletes had already warned us and we were, I mean, we had that in mind, but we didn't expect it to be so hot, mm-hmm. um, you know, and being a games village. So it's like quite new. Um, but that means there's a lot of dust. There's like all sorts of things that, you know, you can see going wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had a wonderful support team, ISN, MSN, especially ISN, because I remember like we when we started competing as well, all of us kept falling sick. We had all sorts of injuries, but our medical team, albeit small, but they really, really put 100% effort to prop us up. So, um, yeah, we have them to thank as well for our successes. Yeah, and you guys pulled it through, took home a whole <laughs> bunch of medals. Personally, though, Carmen, you took home three gold, one bronze. Um, obviously, you know, disappointed with the bronze, but um, <laughs> are you satisfied personally with, uh, with your performance? Yeah, I think generally I am satisfied because um, all the times that I swam were the fastest I've ever swum. So they were all personal best. Yep. So there was not much more I could have given. Uh, but yeah, a little bit of, uh, I mean, the bronze medal, that was very, very close. It was by a touch I saw at the end. And hopefully if I, if I compete another edition of the games, that won't happen again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you said, you know, you swam all your personal best, even broke some records at the game, shattered your own uh, 100 meter breaststroke record, uh, t- uh, with a time of one minute, 41 seconds, point three two. right? Uh, swimming yeah. is basically a sport where, you know, you're only as good as your best time um, were you aiming at these games for your record to beat your record at all or were you or were you just um, aiming to be faster than your opponent um, I think I was mostly aiming to beat my own record because mm. um, you never quite know your opponents sometimes like some of them are um, veterans I, I've known them since like 2015 some of them are completely new so you don't really know how they're going to perform during the games mm. and the best thing you can do is to just um, make sure you're giving your best and I think everything else will fall into place. That's great. Uh, in the 100 yeah. meter freestyle where you got the bronze medal, there were two Vietnamese um, swimmers ahead of yeah. you. Actually, uh, throughout all the events, um, Vietnam and Thailand seem to be, you know, pretty much up there competing with you. Would you say that they are amongst the heavyweights in, in the ASEAN region? Um, yeah, and I think another one will be Indonesia. Indonesia. So three, of, three mm. of those countries, yeah. They they have the biggest teams. Uh, they've been good in para swimming for, uh, you know, as long as 
I've been a part of the team. Mm. So yeah, mm. they're always at the back of our minds when we're when we're competing in Southeast Asia. How about scoping out a little bit, you know, the, from to Europe to the US? Who would you say are some of the you know countries that Malaysia am, can emulate to be uh, in para swimming? Um, definitely the US. Mm. Team GB is very strong as well. Um, Australia. Uh, a lot of the European countries because, I mean, within Asia, I would say Malaysia is actually doing pretty well yep. um, based mm. on our rankings. But sometimes it's quite difficult to match up to, you know, the countries I've mentioned in mm. Europe and the US and Australia. Mm. Um, just because they have so much depth. They've they've developed their teams um, long before, I would say, Malaysia even had a para-swimming team. Mm. So yeah, fair enough. You know, they're they're a lot more established, but I think Malaysia can catch up at some point. Yeah, yeah. We, are, we are growing, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of which, yeah. Carmen, um, you have been in competitive para-swimming for a long time now, but last year marked your return to the competitive scene yeah. after four years. Um, yeah. The Games in Indonesia, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, did you feel that back then, when you just got back in, that you had to, you know, train harder, work a bit harder to make up for that lost time in, in that four years? And how was the experience like? If anything, I would say like I didn't put as much effort into oh, Indonesia really? last year <laughs> uh, as I did this year. This year, I've been putting 100% effort. This is my first time um, training full time. Okay. But last year, I had just graduated from university. I literally had COVID a month out from the games. You know, not much was going in my in my favor. And I think back then, I I didn't really take swimming as seriously as I did now. Gotcha. To me, back then, it was just like, oh, it's another ASEAN Para Games. I've done this twice. This is going to be my third time. Great. Fantastic. I'm going to show up. I'm going to try to win something and leave. So um, I went into the games without that much expectation. But in hindsight, like thankfully, I was able to win a gold medal because I think um, to be able to swim the times I did back then, they weren't good compared to what I I did recently but to be able to show myself that okay I can still somewhat do this yeah. without the training so imagine what I could be with training yeah it must be a real confidence yeah. boost right you're not expecting much and then you're taking home a gold medal um must be the boost. Yeah, yeah in that in that sense yeah it kind of just reminded me like okay no I I do I do like what I do um I I have uh, to some extent the talent but I need to put in the hard work if I want to go beyond this so mm. and now yeah. you're full-time uh, training but I want to bring you back to your first ASEAN Para Games like you say you've done it three times your first time was in 2015 uh, yes. in Singapore right um, where you're yeah. not only the youngest athlete in your category but in that games you also broke the record for the 50 meters uh, freestyle it was was that your first time in like a international type of tournament and what were some of your memories from that first para games um, I really enjoyed the first para games. I mean, Singapore did a fantastic job hosting it. Uh, but yeah, everything was the first time for me. I've I've never represented Malaysia. I've never competed in an international competition. Mm -hmm. So, I think one thing that really helped me was that I went in with absolutely zero expectations because. Uh, when you first join, it is unlikely that the National Sports Council, the Paralympic Council, will be placing like targets on you, like you know, aiming for you to get the gold medal yep. in their predictions. Mm. 
Um, so going in with zero expectations, all I had to do was just go swim. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't need to think very much. I just had to execute what I had been doing in training. I didn't even register how big of a deal it was when I won and broke the record back then. Right, just oh, just another yeah. day in the pool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just 15. Like, <laughs> it was just a fun time. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, in hindsight, very big deal, very cool. <laughs> big deal indeed. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, broke, you broke records in the 50 meters and the 100 meters. Going a bit granular, uh, is that a discipline or event which you prefer? Uh, I've been saying this to quite a few people, but I actually specialize in the freestyle. So that's why the disappointment from getting the bronze, bronze. medal in 100 meter freestyle, um, that's where it stemmed from. Mm. Uh, and I've only started training breaststroke properly about a month from this competition. Because yes, we train all the strokes um, because you have to. Yep. But to you know really specialize in a stroke, um, it takes a lot more time and effort. So, yeah, uh, I'm glad it paid off for breaststroke, but with freestyle, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the 50 meter is my is my main event. So mm. you you get yeah. them next time for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, bring you back to you know when uh, you're now training with the national team. You're, you're training full time, but back then you were not really with the national setup. You were training instead at your school's club, the Sri KL Sharkies. Shri I KL. still am. You still am. You still training with them. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> ah, uh, yeah. Are you uh, somewhat of a coach right now? There, looking at your experience. No. No. <laughs> um, I I literally train. So I train full-time with my coaches at uh, Shrikel Shakis mm-hmm. because um, they've been with me since I first started my swimming career. And uh, when, I, when I started full-time training at the end of last year, I wanted to work with people that already knew my swimming style, already knew how to coach me as a person and knew, knew me on a very personal level to be able to help me reach yep. my goals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not to discredit the national coach at all. Uh, I have a very good relationship with her. It's just I was not prepared to make a big change um, when I did not have that much time to, you know, find my way through a whole setup all yeah. over again yeah. for this year. It's easier to work with someone that you trust because I would say sport is a bit different from like a regular nine to five job where you know yeah your boss you need to like your boss you need to trust your boss to some extent but mm-hmm. this with sport it's like it's very personal um and if you don't trust your coaches or your coaches don't believe in you you're going to really struggle yeah. you're going to struggle to reach your goals that was para swimmer Carmen Lim, and this week we're talking about the recent ASEAN Para Games in Cambodia. More of that conversation to come, so to stick around only here on BFM 89.9. You're back on BFM 89.9. This is Barnan, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. My name is Daryl Ong, and this week we've been in conversation with para swimmer Carmen Lim a Stanford graduate who's now taking aim, looking to qualify for next year's Paralympics in Paris. She was recently part of the contingent whose performance went beyond expectations at the ASEAN Para Games. The team took home 50 gold, 38 silver and 28 bronze. Carmen was born with a condition called Amelia, which is a rare birth defect characterised by a complete absence of one or more limbs. She doesn't let that stop her winning hearts and medals in the swimming pool. She joins us on the program this week. 
So they sent me for classes when I was like five, six years old, and I, I remember I really hated it. <laughs> I had a phobia of water for the longest time because um, I think I probably almost drowned once when I was at like a family friend's pool. Jumped in, didn't know how deep it was. Oh, no. Freaked out, <laughs> big mess. But uh, yeah, I I didn't think of it as a sporting career until. I suppose until the first time I went for the ASEAN Para Games in 2015, mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to have gone to a secondary school that had uh, to, that has a swimming pool that has uh, already a dedicated team, a swimming team. So it just made sense to join back then, and yeah, I didn't look back. Didn't look back indeed. Uh, were you interested in other sports growing up? Um, I mean, I played like a little bit of badminton a bit of frisbee. I was not very good at sports in general as a kid. So. <laughs> Found your calling in the swimming pool. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you left to boarding school in England straight after secondary school and I read somewhere that you were almost like in the commas barred from swimming, <laughs> going for yeah. swimming classes or training <laughs> yeah. swimming there. And this was especially during the period of uh, qualifying for the World Championships and also the Paralympics in Tokyo and back in 2020. Bring us through that moment. You know, why, why were you barred from swimming? I mean, um, so I was doing my A-levels and I think anyone that's done A-levels, SDPM would know that it is quite intense. Um, so just no time but, then? Yeah, you don't really have time, but mm. I, I was adamant I wanted to do it. So for my first year of A-levels, I, I swam, you know, in the Commonwealth Games. I went to the Asian Games, but it did affect my um, results. So in my first year for A-levels, I... I mean, I, I didn't do badly. I just didn't meet the expectations of my school, which gotcha. is primarily a, you know, they're academic heavy. Mm. And that's just it. So that was the reality. Um, and once I got my offer from the University of Cambridge, which wasn't the easiest offer, they expected um, an A star and two A's in my A-levels. Mm. My school or at least the headmaster at the time didn't have that much faith in me to meet those grades if I had continued swimming so he barred me from swimming which to this day I am still like I I have not let it go (laughs) it happened um and I mean I still got into university so something worked out I guess something worked out it wasn't a self-imposed ban I assume it was you know (laughs) it was not a choice I made (laughs) so so during that period right how did you keep that fire for swimming in life you know you're looking at all these competitions going on around you all your friends going for all these competitions but you weren't there I mean, there were many moments where I honestly did question, like, do I even go back into swimming? Because to mm. take such a long break, like, yeah. to come back, it's it's very difficult. Mm. Um, but I think ultimately, I, I just really enjoy swimming. And uh, when I came back into it, when I started university, I didn't come back into it with a very high intensity. I was not training at the level that I am training at now. Mm. But... I was just part of the university team. I had friends, you know, there was a sense of community spirit. And I think that just helped me slowly ease back into swimming. Mm. And that's why it took like four years for me to come back. Uh, It was not a very uh, quick process. Yeah, slowly but surely, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so now, now you've graduated from Cambridge, waiting to do your master's, swimming and training full time right now. Uh, Give us a peek through the curtains, you know, what's your day to day like? Well, for a standard training day, it will be in the morning. Either I'm at the gym or I have one swimming session with uh, my coach. And that's one-to-one in the morning. 
And then usually in the afternoon, I, I take a nap <laughs> just to recharge. I really underestimate it, uh, how exhausting it can be to train um, more than one session a day. Um, and sometimes in the afternoon, I try to find time to, you know, make sure my brain is not rusty <laughs> before I go back uh, to do my master's. Mm, mm. Um, and then in the evening, I prepare for the second session of the day. Mm. And each session would be about two and a half hours, three hours, including like um, stretching, warm up. And then by the time I come home at night, it's about 10, 10, 30. Yeah. And then I sleep and get ready for the next day. And repeat again. Repeat, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of you know pa- para sports uh, in Malaysia uh, and mm-hmm. in the in, in the region, you know there's always that lack, uh, that problem of the lack of funding, right? You know private sponsors and the government tend to focus their efforts more on uh, able-bodied uh, athletes rather than, than para athletes. But over the years, do you find that they they pay more attention to the scene? You know, has it been hard securing funding to travel for tournaments and stuff like that? I would say there's not that big of an improvement yet from what I've I've not seen a a, a very obvious improvement just because I mean in terms of for us to go compete overseas we are yeah in some sense we're lucky because the National Sports Council has allocations Mm -hmm. and they have to send us overseas because for us to qualify for like say the Asian Games for the Paralympics or championships you have to go to um, world para swimming sanction competitions and they're all overseas mm. um, and I know for a fact that Malaysia it is much more expensive for Malaysia to get those officials to fly into Malaysia to take our times right. so they have to send us out right. but when it comes to sponsorships funding yeah I think it's still just as difficult I think the opportunities are not as prominent as what able-bodied athletes would have mm. um, especially if I give an example, like there are multiple athletes on the para swimming team that are ranked within the top 10, top 20 in the world. But none of them that I know of are being sponsored by the big brands in Malaysia mm. or even just the multinational companies. So, mm. yeah, it's still a very big problem. And I'm I'm not one to shy away from saying that we do need sponsors. We um, we do need more visibility and awareness um, mm. regarding parasport. Which brings me nicely to the 2018 uh, Commonwealth Games uh, in Gold Coast, which you were part of. Uh, that, that one was pretty special. You know, you had uh, able-bodied and parasimmers going um, one by one events after each other, right? Giving more exposure. Yeah. You swam in a whole full stadium. Um, yeah. Do you feel, you know, outside of Malaysia, that, you know, public perception towards para-athletes is changing for the better? Um, yeah, I think in general, it is changing for the better. Uh, just because like, say, when I was in the UK, yeah. the GB athletes, the the exposure they get, it is um, admirable. Mm. <laughs> it is something that you would want mm. in your own country. Mm. Um, be it with like, yeah, I, I would have friends that, because I have a friend in the UK that uh, went to Tokyo and is most likely going to Paris. She ended up with like a lot of scholarship offers with, um, you know, supermarket brands coming for her, giving, uh, providing her the support she needed yeah. so that she would be able to compete mm. um, successfully in the games. Um, yeah, and I think maybe there's better understanding um, because I know there's a common misconception that para sport is easier than able, able sport. Um, and... That is very far from the truth. Mm. You know, we work just as hard as able-bodied athletes. If not even harder. 
I will not be claiming that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you yeah. know, Parasport over the last couple of years, at least, you know, have been getting more coverage in the mass media, in turn inspiring, you know, more people with disabilities to put themselves out there. Uh, do you foresee that you started young age, you grew up at the grassroots for, for Parasports, but, uh, and, and do you see that ecosystem for the ecosystem improving, you know, especially at the grassroots level? Do you, do you see it growing? I would say there are there it is growing. There are more people now. There's um yeah, there are more people. That's all I can say, just because in terms of the the programs, especially at like schools, schools for yeah. example, government schools, yep. I still hear problems with um, you know, um children with students with disabilities joining meets like MSSS, mm. MSSM. Mm. Um there isn't actually a designated category or even if there is it's not widely known or widely promoted by the relevant individuals Mm. um i still hear issues with like schools not including um children with disabilities in their sports or even just organizers not being happy that children with disabilities are participating you know, I've even heard a story where one of the parents slash organizer was a bit upset that, um, you know, a, ch- a child with a disability was going to compete because she was like, but what if an able-bodied child loses to this um, oh, okay. disabled child? Wow. You know, okay. things like that are right. said. Right. And it's not nice to hear, but it's still very much happening. Yeah, that stigma, right? And it needs to be yeah. changed Yeah, for, for the spot to grow. Um, last couple of questions, Carmen. I think you're truly one of these shining examples of the difference between being disabled and living with a disability. You're not, you're not disabled because of your disability. You're truly an inspiration. Uh, people listening to this now, you know, what, what advice will you give, you know, aspiring para-swimmers or para-athletes uh, uh, who hope to reach the level of competition that, that you've achieved? Um, I mean, honestly, just keep going. And I I know it can be quite daunting at first um, to not have that much support uh, as you see the mainstream athletes receive. Mm. But um, it it will be worth it at the end. And like, always remember that you are worth just as much as the able-bodied athletes. So um, as long as you keep working and yeah, I mean, the typical don't give up. You, you will be able to make it. Um, but of course, like it's, I, I hope that the people, um, these people have the support system. I hope para-athletes, like the family, friends, coaches of these para-athletes would be able to provide a good support system for them as well. All right, great stuff. Last question. Um, looking forward for the rest of the year, you have the Asian Para Games in October but also next year, the Paralympics uh, in Paris 2024. Hopefully, <laughs> you get to qualify <laughs> for that. Um, give, give us a run through. What else have you have planned for the rest of 2023? Right now, I'm still waiting to see whether I get to go to the World Championships or not because I miss the... So we have this thing called MQS and MET. MQS is um, basically once you've swum the MQS, the minimum qualification standard, you automatically qualify. If you swim the MET, you are considered, um, and there's like a multiple factors they consider before they decide whether or not they are going to allow you to swim. Okay. So okay. I'm under the MET category at the moment. Right. So in the balance. To that working out. And mm. that means if it all falls into place, I get to compete in the World Championships in Manchester this July. 
um, which will also be a qualifying meet for the Paralympics next year. Um, and if not, then it's full focus on the Asian Games, which will also be a qualifying meet. And yeah, hopefully working towards Paris next year. One step at a time. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. That was national para swimmer Carmen Lim, one of the standout performers at the recent ASEAN Para Games in Cambodia. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's Bar None. If you'd like to revisit that interview with Carmen, you can head over to our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none. And if you'd like to get in touch with the program, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. My name's Daryl and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week, only here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.